Good morning. Take your sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I don't know about you, but my Bible's been falling open at Ecclesiastes. Soon it'll be falling open to another section, hopefully. Just continue to read and study, but get to that 13th chapter. Excuse me, 12th? <laughs> 12th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'll lead us in prayer here in just, just a moment. Thank you for the privilege to lead us through this book. My prayer is that your benefit from the study together in Ecclesiastes will be at least to some effect that it's been to me personally to walk through uh, this section of, 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 God's, of God's Word. In fact, I'm going to put a outline up there right away, and we're going to come to that as we're going to move fairly quickly through, through the text this morning. I have 11, 9 through 12, 14. Remember, the divisions of the chapters are not inspired, right? And if I would divide this section up, uh, chapter 12 would start in verse 9. That doesn't mean it should. I'm just telling you we'll see that the same theme that's, that's going on right there with reference to this section speaking to the, to the youth, to, to those yet to be in that period of life that he's going to talk about in the twilight of our, of our life. So, with that in mind, let me lead us in prayer. God, help us this day by thy Spirit to understand your word, Guide me and us together in clarity, accuracy concerning what the Bible says, and then what it means by, on the basis of what it says, not to us personally, but from you. And then in light of what you mean by what you say, that it would impact our lives in such a way that we would be brought to, well, as Solomon says at the end of this chapter, that we would be uh, stretched and secured, deeper anchored in our faith, deeper anchored in you and the gospel because of what your word does for us and in us and to us. Bless our day. May we come with hearts that are eager to offer up acceptable worship, because we came this morning uh, cleansed by the grace of God and right with you and eager to meet with you and hear from you and to offer up worship that is pleasing to you and acceptable because it's offered up in the name of Christ. And bless our day then together and, and our time right now in your word. In Christ's name I pray. And everyone would say, Amen. So let's do a quick overview, and then I'm going to come right back uh, to the text. If you just look at it with me in verses 9, we didn't really cover verse 9 and 10 last week likewise, but he is conveying to them, notice the beginning of verse 9, rejoice, young men, a call to rejoice in your youth. Then in verse 10, there's somewhat a reminder concerning this. He tells them to remove, tells us to remove what will hurt us, particularly 
the, the youth that he's talking about. Then in chapter 12, it begins, look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also, remember your creator, again, in the days of your youth. So we've got, got the rejoice in verse 9, remove in verse 10, and then remember in verse, in verse 1, in fact, the first half of it, chapter 12, verse 1. Then, in the second half of verse 1, all the way over to verse 7, we have the reasoning that he gives that he's making this argument to remember the Creator. And he's developing that from the perspective of the process of aging that leads to the end of one life. And that's what he's doing at, really at the end of this particular book. And then we get to the section that's putting it all together. In verse, uh, verses 9 and 10, he expresses a word about himself, Solomon as the preacher. Remember Koheleth? The preacher. This is a sermon. And then a word about the word, that is wisdom, about God's wisdom, God's word. And then a, a warning to the youth. He's still on that particular concept there, chapter 12, verse 12, but beyond all this, my son, there it is again, and I realize that's the idea too of him as a king to his people, but likewise as father uh, to son. And so in verse 12, we have a warning concerning the internet. We'll see that. <laughs> it's right in the text. It's in the Hebrew, okay? And then in verses 13 and verses 14, like the old saying that goes, when all has been said and done, look at the text in verse 13, the conclusion, when all has been heard, when all has been said and done, if you mark your Bible and you have a red pen, these are the verses. Everything has been getting to these, this verse 13 and verse 14 in the conclusion of the book itself. And what is the main thing, and we say all the time, what? Main thing is what? The main thing. So we want to catch the main thing that he's driving to in verses 13 and verse 14 for all of us. Okay, verse 9. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let, the heart, let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Enjoy life. Live it to the fullest. Yeah, we got that word. Yet, know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. I'm going to do a quick quote for each one of these verses this morning. This is from uh, Akins. He says, according to Solomon, exhorts his readers to rejoice in their youth and to walk in the ways of their heart and eyes, but he adds that they must recognize that God will judge in the end. Remember, we said rejoice, but do so responsibly. Enjoy life's prime and the opportunities you have now that others do not have. Do what you want to do. Seize the day. However, keep in mind that you will face God and answer for how you lived your life. Therefore, enjoy the responsibility as God designed. What does that mean? That means we don't determine for ourselves how we will do things, how we will do marriage, food, drink, sex, finances, family, work, and relationships. We enjoy things in those areas of life the way the Bible instructs us to do so. That's where the blessing is. That's how we seize the day, fearing God and living in wisdom in the context of the book as a whole. So verse 10, he says, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Now, I'm going to give you one other quick quote concerning that verse, and I think uh, Swindoll nails it. 
He says, I doubt that Solomon is writing in symbolic language. Do I have that one? Yes. Why not take this comment literally? It makes a lot of sense if we understand it to mean get rid of the things that bring the body pain. For example, take a straight look at what alcohol does to your body. Take an honest look at what drugs will do to your body. Face it straight on and realize the pain that your body will be forced to endure if you become addicted to those harmless activities. You'll suffer serious consequences if you make that a part of your lifestyle. What a good warning. Amen? So remove that from your life. Live your life light in light of the end of verse 9, in light of the fact that God will bring you, will bring you to judgment for all these things one day that you will stand before him so now live your life with enjoyment in your youth as you are able to do so now chapter 12 here we go remember also your creator in the days of your youth it's interesting that he uses the word here creator remember your creator now why does he convey this idea of God as the creator. Why isn't he just like in the rest of the book, just say, remember the Lord or remember God? I think there's always purpose in what God says and how he conveys things in his word. And the idea of creator would be the idea that it is God who made you. And it is God who, then if he made you, he owns you. You're going to stand before him. But he owns you. He's the creator. Somebody has well said, the key thing about youth is the idea of independence. And if that's so, independence is the idea. I own my life. I will do what I want with my life. I will go with where I want to my life. And Solomon is saying, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Remember also your creator when? In the days of your youth. Well, what, if he's writing this to the youth and all of us by application, then he's saying, remember your creator when? Now. Now, not later. Remember him now. One writer says, the essence of youth is to feel immortal. But we're not, except the sense of our, of our soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. So, remember God as creator, well, Gibson makes a comment about that that I think is helpful. It is no coincidence that the preacher tells young people to remember their creator in the days of their youth, rather than simply telling them to remember God. Ecclesiastes wants those of us who are young enough to hear him to realize that the doctrine of creation is the wellspring of a life well-lived. It ori orients us to truths about God and about ourselves which can have a radical impact on how we live in the world. It's his world. So I'm going to live my life in the context of God being aware of every choice of my life one day, and he will bring this all to account. So I'm living now, catch this, as God, if I'm wise, as my environment. Aware of my choices, and my choices matter to him. So now, not later, all of us a little bit older, maybe some of us that qualify for Social Security, we would say, don't wait till later, live for him right now. Can we say amen to that? Live for him right now. Choose right now, choose today. Joshua, as for me and my house, right, we will what? 
man, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord. We're going to do that. Now, here's another thing that brings as creator. When we think about God as our creator, we think about accountability to him. We're going to stand before him. And culpability. Culpability is to be responsible then for our lives. So it brings things into perspective in that way. As in 9b, again, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Enjoy life, but enjoy it responsibly, knowing there's a God in heaven. He made you. You'll be for him one day, and your life matters for him. In fact, could I even say it this way when he's saying, remember, remember your creator. He's saying this, trust in him, fear him, love him, live for him, turn to him, and serve him, and don't wait till later. Choose to do that today, and if you never have, choose right now today. Choose to be all in for God today, and any way that you have the opportunity to do that. If you're old enough to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you have never made that clear in believer's baptism, choose to do it today. To say to the Lord, I'm all in. I want to follow you. Tell an adult here this morning. You tell that adult. Or just as an adult, tell somebody else. I want to end my life. I want to end it being faithful to him as best that I can. I want to please the very God of heaven. It's a good thing to convey that to one another. Now let me give you just a five quick reasons why. We'll come right back to the text, but five reasons why. And one is, look in verse 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. What's the next word? Before. Uh, look down in verse 2, what's the first word? Before. Look at verse 6, uh, remember him is inserted for the idea of smoothest in the text, but what do we find again? Before. What's the idea? Urgency. If you write in your Bible, right over in a column, write the word urgency. Why? You don't own life. So this is urgent. Do it now. So here's some reasons why. Number one, before it's what? Everybody say it. Before it's what? Too late. Because he's going to work us over to the verse 7, which going to tell us a day is coming, and you don't know when, when you're going to return to dust. We're, all of this is with reference to life under the sun. You come into this world, out of this world. That's the physical perspective. We know there's more, but he's given us life under the sun. So do it before, before it's too late. Avoid the sin of putting God on hold. Do not be presumptuous with God. You do not own time. Time belongs to him. So before it's too late, before. A second reason, avoid a life of regret. You will regret not living for the Lord if you don't. You'll regret it. The way of the transgressor is what? Hard. Hard. Meaningless and emptiness of life under the sun ends there. The idea of what, what, what is the point? What is behind all of this? So you will regret it if you don't. At all costs today... Avoid living with regret. I could spend a couple hours on this one because I'm old enough to see people that have grown up in the church or grown up, make a profession in the youth, and they, they, they go their own way. And there's a way which seems right to a man, but what? The end thereof is destruction. 
And I've, I've, had people, I've had people in my office now, they're getting up into, you know, 30s and 40s or 50s and saying, man, I've been blowing it. I have much regret. Now, it's never too late to repent and get right with the Lord. Can we say amen to that? Aren't we thankful for that? But don't, don't, don't live your life with regret, wishing you had or having put God on hold. Uh, remember Spurgeon's quote, youthful sins lay a foundation for age sorrows. Third, sin hardens the heart. Sin hardens your heart. Hebrews 3.13 talks about the, the hardness of, of sin that can cause the longer you resist, the harder you can become in not remembering God and turning to him and trusting him. So sin hardens one's heart. We see that effect in the scriptures concerning rebellion against God himself and how they're creating a, 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 a hardened rebellion against God. Fourth, there's never no great regret. You'll never have any regret living for the Lord. Have you met anybody who said, I wish I wouldn't have lived for the Lord? I, I, I wish I wouldn't have. You ever met anybody? I've never met anybody like You ever met anybody like that who regrets? I've met people who regret not trusting Christ earlier in life, but I've never, re never met anybody who says, boy, I wish I wouldn't have trusted Christ. You know? Never met anybody like that. And fourth, look at chapter 12, verse 1 with me. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Now, we began this class by me giving you some examples of people who had all kinds of uh, great accolades and accomplishments in life. I think I wrote down the one I began with at the beginning of this class, John Berryman, incredible uh, writer and uh, poet and uh, laureate, you know, awards and all the rest is the guy who in much of his poetry kept asking, why, why, what's the purpose in all of this? In his early 50s, got on a, jumped on a bridge over the Mississippi River and jumped into the river and ended his life in the midst of all kinds of the world's accomplishments being brought his way. And he's still saying, I'm empty. I'm empty. There's a day, which you can, somebody said it this way, there, there, there can come a day when you have no pleasure in living. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And that's true. That can happen to people without the Lord in their life, saying, what's the use in all of that? So that's why he said, before, before, before it's too late, before you would reach a, a stage like that in one's life, I trust that that would never be true of you. Now, in verses 2 down through verse 7, we have um, all kinds of imagery relating to the aging process. Or, as some of us might say, this is your life <laughs> in these particular verses. Um, and it's in, it's in this metaphorical idea continually, and it's the idea, most of all, I think, Wiersbe uh, makes, oh yeah, here's a warning from the Psalms. Behold, you have made my days as a handbreadth, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. 
Kind of sounds like James, doesn't it? That hand breath is an interesting thing. It's less than this. It's less than this. <laughs> That's how short life is, is it not? Just a, a, a vapor, as James says. Now, Wearsby says in verses 3 through 7, give us one of the most imaginative descriptions of old age and death found anywhere in literature. Students don't agree on all the details of interpretation, but most of them do see here a picture of a house that is falling apart and finally turns uh, to dust. If you come out our way on the west um, side of town on Highway 40 and you turn at the stoplight uh, that come out toward the Lewises and Kotkis, there is this beautiful, huge, old, old Victorian house. I mean, you look at that and you say, man, that must have been the most beautiful thing in the Indianapolis area whenever that was built. I have no idea. Did you do any, I, have, I have no idea about the history. But you look at it today, <laughs> you know, shingles are falling off, doors boarded up, windows are broken, uh, siding has fallen off, and it looks like it's ready to boom. I always think, wouldn't it be wonderful if one of those programs that come in and redo an old place would just come in and redo that beautiful, beautiful home? They'd probably look at it and say it's beyond hope at this time. But he's giving us that kind of idea in these particular verses. And I want you to notice, as we just read through those verses, it's not merely the idea of the impending aging process that he's driving home and the reality of death. The issue that he is driving home is the brevity of life, that before you know it, your time is up. Time is up. Well, Verse 2, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. Here's an imagery. If we, if we did this with the lights up there, we won't do that this morning. But if it, in your in a room in your home you have a dimmer switch and it's on bright and you just slowly turn that down to where it's dark, that's the imagery here of life toward the end toward the darkness. In the day, verse 3, that watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop Grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow old, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of high places and of terrors on the road, and almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags himself along the caperberry is ineffective, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the streets. I mean, wow. Somebody says this is a picture of, of the time in your life when you get up and go, got up and got, got up and got up and went. But please notice this. There's a message beyond all of this, and it is this. Well, why is why is life like this? See? Why? Why does this have, have to happen? And there's a greater question beyond all of this. What happened that made this so? And it's the reality of what? It's that man rebelled against God. Sin came into this world and has messed up everything. Whereas by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men 
for all have sinned. That's the idea. So it's to drive us back to God and say, Lord, what, what's, wh why did this happen? I'll tell you why it happened. Because of sin. You say, well, I wasn't there. Yeah, but if you'd have been there, the only difference would have been is the fall would have taken place earlier. Right? Because you know what you are. And so is the problem of sin comes into this world, and there's pain, and there's sorrow, and there's suffering, and there's aging, and there is death. There is death. And he's bringing this home to us at the end of this book. There is man under the, under the sun, right? Life without God, and he's wondering, what's the purpose then in all of this? Because you're just born to get old and die. There we are. People need then what kind of news? They need good news. They need good news that there's hope beyond that. So, somebody has put, rather than me take the hour or the rest of my 45 minutes and just going through this, somebody has well put this together in just the imagery of each one of these statements. I've entitled it This Old House, okay? And here, I'm just going to read through this fairly quickly, and it gives the idea of what happens to us as we are aging, Keepers of the house, your arms and hand tremble. Strong men, your legs, knees, and shoulders weaken, and you, and you walk bent over. You'd be able to tell who ran the K-5 yesterday by them walking like, like this today. Grinders, you start to lose your teeth. Windows, your vision begins to deteriorate. Doors, either your hearing starts to fail or you close your mouth because you've lost your teeth. Grinding, you can't chew your food or your ears can't pick up the sounds of the outdoors. Rising up, you wake up with the birds earlier each morning, and you wish you could sleep longer. I had somebody tell me this morning, oh, this point in my life, I, I just wake up about five. Music. Uh, by the way, remember when you were a teen and your mom had to make you get out of bed at noon? <laughs> Music. Maybe that was just me. Your voice starts to qu quiver and weaken. Afraid, you're terrified of heights and afraid of falling while you walk down the street. I'm talking about you, Jim Baker, right now, if you're listening. <laughs> Jim went up into the tree with, uh, with his uh, chainsaw and fell. Is uh, Imogene here this morning? She'll probably be here the second hour. But uh, he's had to lay on his other side for a while here and he had wind, he had uh, hip replacement and and he kind of messed it up big time and he and I are close to the same age so he should have been nervous about even trying to do that easy for me to say that to him almond tree if you have any hair left it turns if you have any hair left it turns white like almond blossoms and whiteness. Grasshopper, you just drag yourself along like a grasshopper in the close of a summer season. Now, you know, this is somebody's interpretation, application of it. You, but this is, this is generally the idea, okay? Desire, you lose your appetite or perhaps even your intimate desire. Long home, you go to your eternal long home and people mourn, mourn your death. There it is. There it is. One guy said, I'll never forget a particular trip I made to the grocery store. It was way back in the days when our four children were very small, two still in diapers. I was at the baby food section piling those jars in my cart. 
Nearby was an older gentleman, very carefully picking and choosing, straining this, mash that, grabbing these. I thought, my, that's a great old granddad buying it for those grandkids. So I smiled at the guy, and I said something like, boy, I bet it's great having those grandkids around the house. He looked at me and frowned and said, this ain't for the grandkids, Sonny. This is for me. There you are. Now, please understand, not everything about aging is negative. There are great blessings in life, at any point in life, but there are unique, great blessings in the later seasons of life. God gives you wisdom if you're listening and growing, and you have blessings of family if you have family, and particular things that just is a a, a greater joy of the pleasures of life at that point in life. Now, I've always enjoyed a sunset, but there's something about one now at this point in my life that I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I've always enjoyed going and seeing new places, but I really enjoy it now. I really enjoy it now, but I don't want to do it, do it in an airplane. I want to do it in a car. Okay. All right. Just personal there. So, What's he say about all of this? Then in verse 7, dust returned to the earth as it was. Dust to dust, right? And the Spirit will return to God. Whoa, who gave it now? Mm-hmm. You're an eternal being, right? You're going to stand before your Creator one day. Remember back in verse 9? Verse 9, yet not yet know that God will bring you to judgment. He will bring you to himself. Yeah. So, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Now look at verse 8. Where did the book start? All is what? Where are we at in verse 8? There you are. Right back to life under the sun. It's empty. It's meaningless. Without God without God being real in your life. Yeah. Says the preacher, all is vanity. So the, this section closes where it began. And I want to quote to you, if I may, just one more time. I think that I have it here. Augustine said what? Why don't you read it with me? It's a classic quote, isn't it? You have made us for, oh Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. All of it is to point us to him. You have confidence today that for you to, Lord, to take you home on the way home today, nothing's more real than the reality of life coming to an end, that for you, people could say, well, I know you, you, you're, you're for real for the Lord, and to be absent from the body is to be what? present with the Lord, and that's your hope, and you live with that, and you enjoy life because of that. There it is. So, okay, here we are putting it all together, verses 9 through verse, through verse 14. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher, well, remember this about Solomon, right? His great, great wisdom that God gave to him as a gift, and when we think about Solomon, we think about wisdom in addition to Ecclesiastes. What other book do we think about? Book of Proverbs, right? Yeah. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many Proverbs, even more than what God has 
preserved for us in his word than the ones that he wanted us to have. But even the wisdom that is found in this book, besides this, the wisdom that he gave as king to the people. And those who, we think about that incredible example at the beginning of Solomon's reign where the two women came and they both said the child was their baby and in his wisdom, you know, he did discern through which one was the true mom of that baby. Wisdom gives us discernment into life because we have all kinds of subjective truth that's flying our way about this is right and we live in the age of, of relativity where truth is whatever you make it for yourself or want it to be, but we know wisdom is right here and found in God's word. That's why we've got to grow in it so that we discern and make right decisions in life and why it's so imperative to impart it to our children and Deuteronomy, help them see God morning and evening and in everything going on in their lives. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. There's this intent. See it? He was telling us as God guide them to write it correctly. And then in verses 11 and 12, we have we have God's wisdom on wisdom itself or on the word of God. The words of wise men or of the wise are like goads and masters of collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. A goad was that which was a long, you know, like stick, a prodder. You ever heard the term about cattle prodder? Boom, get that thing move it along. The Word of God prods you. The Word of God convicts you. The Word of God calls you. The Word of God brings to your reminder. The Word of God is constantly convicting you, is it not? And it is a good thing, amen? It is a good thing. So you walk out of here today, and you know it seemed like that preacher was preaching right exactly to you. Then God bless you. Your heart is tender, or God is working in your heart to that degree. And you should come today ready to worship and to say, God, have your way in my heart. Have your way. I want to grow. I want to change. I want to live for you. I want to please you. So you want a tenderness to the Word of God because we're always going to gain something, oftentimes more than one thing, from the Word when we hear it taught and when we hear it preached. So it's like goads. That's a good thing. It prompts you. It moves you. And also like well-driven nails. That's a title, by the way, of one of the best books ever written on preaching, well-driven nails. What does a nail do that's driven well in wood, building something? It what? He brings security and stability to it. That's the beauty of the Word of God. I think I have a statement by Ryrie uh, concerning that. He says, yes, God's Word prods us and it anchors us. Isn't that good? It prods us. It moves us along. What a good thing. That is when that takes place in our lives. Nothing like the Word is there. Never compare the Bible. Up, oh, I'm moving ahead here. Look at verse 12. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearing, wearing to the body. Interesting uh, quote from uh, Riken's book on Proverbs. He says this, Already in the ancient world at this time, royal libraries were, were full of books. In response to contemporaries who spent a fortune amassing large personal libraries, the Stoic philosophers and statesmen 
uh, Seneca observed that, quote, the abundance of books is a distraction. Similarly, the German philosopher and mathematician, um, Gottfried somebody somebody, complained that the horrible mass of books being published in the late 17th century threatened to consign every author to the danger of general, uh, every author to the danger of general oblivion. Well, am I saying that having a library or enjoying reading or amassing books to yourself is a bad thing? No, no, not saying that, nor do I believe that. He is implying that likewise. But if that's a distraction from the main book, then it's not a good thing, amen? And if that's true with reference to just literature at that age, think about the internet. That's why with tongue in cheek I said he's saying in verse 12, a warning. Notice beyond this, my son, be warned, a warning concerning the internet. All the information, all the information, all the information about things that we have today. But, good statement by Aikens, never compare the Bible with other books. Comparisons are dangerous. Books speak from the earth, the Bible speaks from heaven. Never think or say that the Bible contains the Word of God or that it becomes the Word of God. That's, by the way, that's the liberal view concerning the Scriptures. As that, oh yes, it contains the will, contains the Word of God. That's a slippery, sneaky way of rejecting what you don't like. It is the Word of God, supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in value, infinite in scope, divine in authorship. Try saying all this in one breath. Regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality. Read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, pass it on. It's the Word of God. Good time, say amen. Amen. It's the living Word. It goes right to the core of our being, does it not? Okay. So, verse 13 and 14. We're not having a second hour today. I'm just going to do these two verses for the next hour. Is that all right? Uh-uh. Pastor just shook his head. No, no way. Main thing, the conclusion then. When all's been said and done, when all has been heard, here it is. Just the next two words. Go. Fear God. What does that mean? means you reverence him above everything else in the world. It means that if you were with, with the, the called nation of Israel, when, when, when they were going to, Moses took them to, at Sinai to, to meet God, to hear him there at the mountain, prepared the people. It means that when they heard the voice of God, the mountain shook and the people shook. It means there is nothing to be feared more than him. I love Oswald Chambers' statement, the remarkable thing about fearing God, wrote, wrote Oswald Chambers, it is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you're going to fear everything else, and you're going to fear death. You're going to fear death without him. You're going to say it in this way, I don't know, I don't know, I'm afraid, without him being real in your life. Fear God, but when you fear God, you will do what? And you will what? Keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. Hmm. Hebrews 9.27, you know it. It's appointed for men to die once. And after this, there it is. Judgment, right back to verse 9 of chapter 11. But we are such hope in John 5.24. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me 
has what? And does not what? There it is. Romans 8.1. Do you know it? Do you know it? There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Romans 8 starts with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. What a great, great chapter of our life in him. So he's warning us in verse 12 about the idea of ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And so then he says in verse 13, here's, what, here, here's the main thing. Fear God, know him, reverence him, submit to him, his word, keep his commandments. Why? This applies to every person. Why? For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, the good or evil, all before him. The final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, therefore, but that everything does. What we did, how we did it, and why we did it will all have eternal significance. Everything in the universe is subject to the final verdict of a righteous God who knows every secret. The things we do and do not do today will all be seen in the light of the final judgment. If this is true, then what matters the most is the personal decision that each person makes about Christ. Ecclesiastes ends with a warning of judgment, not a promise of grace, but the warning still points us to the gospel. If God will bring everything to judgment, then it's desperately important to make sure that we will be justified on the great day. The only way to be sure is to entrust our lives to Christ who alone has the mercy to save us from the justice to come. So let's end with our friend John Newton. Amazing grace. Many Christians know the name of John Newton, slave trader who came to faith in Christ and later wrote Amazing Grace, as well as many other hymns. When Newton came to the end of his life, he famously said, although my memory is fading, anybody want to join that club? <laughs> Although my memory is fading, Deborah voted twice for her and for me right there. <laughs> I remember two things very clearly. Here we are. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And if we remember our Creator Savior in the days of our youth, then we will never forget these truths, not even on the day of judgment or the last breath that you would take, he is your Savior, is he? I hope that he is. I pray that he is. If he's not, be all in on him today. He's all in for you in the cross, and you can't pay for your own sin. He's your only hope of standing before God and God looking at you saying, you know what? You're justified in the righteousness of my son because you've trusted him, and it's evident that you trusted him because you're living for him. And in living for him, you're living in wisdom and be grateful that you did however days that the Lord gives us in this, in this life. Amen? So, thank you for this book. And may we be ever mindful of the reality that people without Christ are living on this level. And they're gaining and achieving so many things that they find out are so empty in life. Where's their purpose? Where's their meaning? Where's their significance? Where's their hope? Where's their peace? We have the answer. 
It's Jesus Christ who is our peace. Amen? May, he, may the book have burdened us for the lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Solomon's inspired words by the Spirit and having these great reminders in our Bible, in the Word of God. Thank you for the hope that we have, this absolute confidence that we live in. Not a hope of a maybe, but a hope of an absolutely. A hope that's anchored, anchored in who you are and what you've done and your promises that give us forgiveness, life, righteousness, and blessing. Oh, Father, how we thank you, and we're eager to worship you with that, even in the singing that we're going to experience in a few moments and hearing the word again and be encouraged and helped and strengthened and blessed and even rebuked or bringing repentance as needed is a good thing because you're working good in our lives in Christ, and we praise you for that. And we say all of these things lining up with the will of Christ, with the word of God, by saying amen. Amen.